back to another episode of Behind the Lens. All right, we're playing with sound here. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't have mine up. You're good, Pam. I didn't have mine up. This is the joy of live radio, people. Uh, Welcome to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where every week we go behind the lens, below the line, with all the master craftsmen who bring you film, television, music, literature, uh, stage performances, directors, writers, costumers, and today you're going to hear from WWE superstar Paige. Yes, Paige herself. I have a pre. I interviewed her earlier this week for the new film "Fighting with My Family," which is her life story. At age twenty-six, she's already got she's already got her life story out there in a film. Um, so very excited for all of you to hear that. But you can find my interviews, reviews in print, online, and abroad, including on BehindTheLensOnline.net. 24-7, but every week you'll find me Mondays, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on Adrenaline Radio. And I still haven't found out. Uh, Adrenaline used to rerun the show periodically during the week. I don't know if they still do that, but if you miss us live, you can find every single Behind the Lens episode on iTunes, on Stitcher, various other places, and of course on BehindTheLensOnline.net and on, archived here on AdrenalineRadio.com. So, there's no excuse to not tune in at some point and catch up with what's going on. And of course, as our regular listeners know, a lot of, a lot of, the, of the shows, I devote a lot of attention and time to our indie filmmakers, our first-time filmmakers, our, our second-time filmmakers who are on the indie circuit, and they're trying their damnedest um, to become the next Steven Spielberg or the ne- next Hitchcock or even the next Jason Blum. Um, and if we don't encourage these new filmmakers and the younger filmmakers, there's not going to be a film industry in the future. So it is my pleasure and my privilege to get to talk with all of these filmmakers. And of course, the master craftsmen who have been around forever the award winners, uh, we've had so many of them here on the show already. Uh, and some of my favorites, you all know Steve Lee, who is heading up the Hollywood Sound Museum. He is a sound legend. And, of course, the guys from Formosa, uh, Oscar winners. Um, and, of course, you, we've been talking about uh, the guys from Formosa recently, uh, most notably uh, Tim Hoganocker, Mark Mangini, um, with the new film Arctic that's out. They did the sound design and mixing on it, which is exquisite. If you ever want to hear what a really wonderfully sounding film and mixed film is, go see Arctic. It's in theaters now, and it is amazing. And, of course, you heard from Joe Pena, the writer-director here on the show as well. Today, very happy, uh, Sam Friedlander, writer-director Sam Friedlander, is going to be joining us at the midpoint of the show. I am a huge fan of Sam's work. Um, he's produced a lot of tele- he's produced a, a fair amount of television. The series "The Hustler," "The Resident," that stars Emily Van Camp, "Allegiance" with Scott Cohen, "Royal Pains." But where I really took notice of him and his work was as writer director. His first feature film, "Larry Gay: Renegade Male Flight Attendant," a couple years ago, um, and. We had the film star, Mark Feuerstein, on the show. Uh, I think Sam was on, too. But he has such a great way with comedy that I was very excited to see his new film, Baby Splitters, which premiered at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival the other week. Uh, So Sam is going to be joining us at the half-hour mark to talk about this wacky and interestingly premised film, uh, Baby Splitters. But first... Um, as a reminder to everybody, Saturday, Spirit, Film Independent Spirit Awards on the beach in Santa Monica. I'll be there, red carpet and in the press t- room, talking to the winners. Um, and, of course, Weather Report says once again it's supposed to be raining on Saturday. Um, so this will be another fun day at the beach. And then Sunday, of course, the Oscars. And the Oscars, they're just, we've had a lot of excitement over the past couple weeks 
with the four awards that they were not going to present live on television. They have, because of the outcry, the industry outcry, the public outcry, the Academy has reversed that decision. All awards will now be presented live. Uh, they will not be, there would be no bathroom break awards uh, with edited acceptance speeches broadcast later in the show. All the awards, everyone will get their dues, especially the cinematographer, cinematography, the 100th anniversary. Um, huge, huge snub were, if they would not get um, their due with all the nominees on television. Uh, same with the editors, uh, hairstyle, makeup, and of course live action shorts. Uh, because so many of the short films out there today, the filmmakers go on to make feature films. It's a stepping stone. And every bit of encouragement helps. Especially when you've got uh, Oscar attention. So... So it's a big weekend coming up. Um, we're going to talk about that next Monday. But today, we're going to talk about fighting with my family. Uh, it stars Florence Pugh, Jack Loudon, Nick Frost, Lena Headey. Um, it, it, and it's based on the true story of Paige and her family that is headed by a rowdy, <clears throat> rowdy Ricky Knight, uh, who is played by Nick Frost. Paige's entire family is a wrestling family out of Norwich, England. Um, her story in and of itself is amazing. Uh, by 2005, she's only 26. Um, by 2005, at the age of 13, she was already uh, wrestling with the World Association of Wrestling. By 2011, she was on the WWE roster. She had her debut match in 2014 at the age of 21. 2016, she was drafted to Raw. She was then out with an injured neck. 2017, she was back in the ring till she injured her neck again. She is now in ring retirement. But she has all kinds of ventures that are going. She is a fascinating woman. Absolutely fascinating. Two-time WWE Divas champ. She was the inaugural NXT Women's Champ. Just outstanding. And she's only 26, which just makes me feel like a failure. Um, but she is a, a pure delight. And to see her story come to life, uh, the film is produced, executive produced by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Of course, any, of, any big wrestling fans out there, WWE fans, you know that The Rock was instrumental in Paige's path to WWE stardom, and he also ha appears in the film. Um, the film, basically, it's written and directed by Stephen Merchant. It is about a family, and a family that loves each other, and they just happen to be wrestlers, uh, which makes the film even more appealing, more entertaining. Um, and, as you're going to hear from Paige, the film is pretty much spot on with her life. So, without any further ado, take a listen to my interview from the other day with WWE superstar Paige. This is a great thrill to get to talk to you, Paige. Um, you are, in a word, iconic. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I've got to ask, number one, were you a big Charmed fan? I love Charmed. That's where I got Paige from. I would love to. I was like, someone take me on Ellen just so I can meet Rosalind Gowan. Have, have you really grasped what has happened here? I mean, for you, obviously, the height of your career could have been when you were voicing yourself in a Scooby-Doo cartoon. But here, now you have an entire narrative film about you and your family. In your wildest dreams, did you ever imagine this? No, like, I couldn't, in my wildest dream, even believe that I was going to be in WWE. You know, like, I had a dream to be here. But did I ever think I was going to get it? No, because I just didn't think I looked the part, you know. But I managed to get it. I managed to be uh, successful at what I could do there, you know. And um, But I never thought, in, like, at 26 years old, I would have a biopic produced by The Rock and written by Stephen Merchant, you know, and directed by Stephen Merchant. It just blows my mind. And the cast is just, like, soft-sided. How closely did you work with Stephen in his development of the script and in directing the film? 
So uh, Stephen was very hands-on when it came to uh, wanting the story to be as true as possible. So it was like 95% true, 5% not. But he uh, spent a lot of time with me, and, and he uh, called and texted me every other day, and he, he just asked me so many questions. Just like, okay, then what happened? And then how did you feel about this? And what was your reaction to this, you know? And then um, he got to go to England. And unfortunately, I couldn't go because I, was, um, I just had surgery, but... Um, he got to spend some time with my family and then he got to learn about them and then he got to learn about WWE because Dwayne, uh, The Rock, took him to uh, to WrestleMania, SummerSlams and NXT and stuff. So uh, he definitely had like a big group of people that could help him with this movie. Now, once he let you see it, did he let you see this while he was in the editing process? I know, my understanding is you did not go on set at all when they were filming. So you did. Right. So you never met Florence. So when you finally got to see her perform, that was had to be a shock. But I'm curious if Stephen ever let you in the editing room so that you could say ah, maybe not quite, or give him some input at that stage. Or did he wait to the end for you to see this? He waited to the end for me to see it because you know I said I trusted him with my story and um, I left. I obviously left my story in good hands because. I mean, he's a genius when it comes to this kind of stuff, and um, I knew he wasn't going to make me or anyone in my family look bad at all. Like, he's not that kind of person, and um, he, we saw it. Like, he, he it, it still had, like, a couple of things that was left to do on it, but, like, it was very minor, you know? So he showed me then, and, like, I just cried the whole time. <laughs> I cried literally for two hours straight. You have made no secret about crying when you saw this film. So oh, yeah. I have to ask you, is that what helped lead you to developing a makeup line? And hopefully it's totally waterproof? Oh, uh, <laughs> no, so I was thinking about the uh, makeup like this because I've always loved makeup. I grew up watching my mom put makeup on and stuff like that. And I just, I love it. And I love um, having the makeup that I have, vegan and cruelty-free and gluten-free and stuff like that. Because, you know, you can't have enough makeup that has no crap in it, you know, <laughs> so um, I, I just got inspired by it just because I loved it, but I started creating the makeup before I watched the movie, but that's a good idea, though. Yeah, make... <laughs> it's uh, more proof now. What is this journey, this wrestling journey, been like for you? You grew up in it, so was it always predisposed that you would go into wrestling? Yeah, so I grew up, yeah, definitely grew up with it, um, and I always loved wrestling, there was no doubt about that. I, I just had my doubts when it came to being actually in the ring and being, doing the physical side of things, because it scared me, you know, I was a, I was a little girl, and, and being thrown around a wrestling ring wasn't the first thing that was on my mind, but um, once I did get in the ring, and I found the confidence to do it, I just fell in love with it. I just loved it so much, the feeling that you get, just... The adrenaline and, and the euphoric feeling that you get is just insane, and I just love it. Important aspect of the film, and obviously from your real life, is your relationship with your brother Zach. Mm -hmm. And was there ever a moment where there was a strain in your relationship because you were chosen and not him? Yeah, I mean that was the true part of it too. Is, is he, he did? He, he was a little bit jealous of it because he wanted this dream so bad, and his little sister got it. He was just like devastated, obviously. And the amount of times that he tried and tried and tried, and he just kept getting um, denied, it was it, it was heartbreaking. And I can understand why, you know. And all I wanted to do was have my brother sign too. Even today, like like seven and a half years later, I'm still like, we need to find Zach, you know. Um, <laughs> But yeah, he was. But he's, he's good now. He's happy. He's really happy with what he's got right now. And the two of you, as strong as ever? Oh, we're stronger than ever. Zach just got here, actually. He just landed in New York. So um, I was really excited to see him. But yeah, he's still my best friend. The documentary that was made over 10 years ago now... Was that a surprise to you when British television did a documentary? Or was that something that you were used to because of the way your dad was promoting all the time in Norwich? Yeah. Well, I was so used to documentaries because we did so many of them. Like, growing up, my mom and dad just loved being in front of the camera. So whenever we got approached to do a documentary, they would always be like, yes, straight away. You know, they loved it. They loved, they loved that kind of stuff. So I was so used to it. And I didn't know this, this documentary was going to be so successful um, as it was. Like, it, it won awards in, in England, you know? So, um, yeah, like, I, I just, I, this one just took off. And obviously now there's a movie based on it. 
Well, now, given the fact that you are so comfortable in front of the cameras, you did wrestling in front of the cameras, you're now retired from in the ring, yeah. um, which after your injuries, I'm glad that you have retired. Yeah, <laughs> you you don't need to get any more neck injuries. That's that's no. Not <laughs> but having gone through all this now, watch this film being made. As I mentioned earlier, you've done voicing for video games. You've done voicing for cartoons, playing yourself. Do you have any interest to dig deeper into the film industry yourself? Oh, I'd love to. That's the first thing that I want to do is uh, try and dive into that. Like whether it's TV or movies, you know, reality shows, just, just anything. I just want to, uh, you know, be the next going. Because <laughs> I see that with everything that you do, you know, you've got your clothing line, your makeup line. seems like you like to produce and create things. And you created you. your whole persona. You created the whole persona page. So I, I can see you going into the producing aspect of film and yeah, television. I would love that too, Absolutely. I saved a very special question for you for the very end page. You have a very big fan in Boston named Harry Norton. And he wanted me, he knew I was going to talk to you today. So he wanted me to ask you, is Dwayne Johnson as cool as he seems? Oh, he's the best. He's even cooler, if that's even possible. Like, he's literally the nicest guy, and you always expect, like, something to be wrong with someone who's so nice. But there's literally nothing. He's just wonderful. And that was, you know, for those of you that don't know Paige's story, you know, I had to ask her about did she really love the TV show Charmed? Because part of the film depicts her picking her ring name of Paige, which is one of the Hallowell sisters in the TV series Charmed. And yes, indeed, her real uh, Paige's real name is Soraya Raya Knight, but she did pick Paige as her uh, stage persona. So it's nice to know she really does love the show and she does still want to meet Rose McGowan. Um, so <laughs> we'll see if we can work on that. Rose should be the one looking up page at this point. But a really important part of the film is Rowdy Ricky Knight. That is a major part of Paige's story. And of course, Nick Frost tackled the role. And it's something we haven't seen from Nick before. Uh, you know him best for working with Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright, uh, Shaun of the Dead, World's End, uh, Paul, Pirate Radio, Kinky Boots, uh, Television, Into the Badlands, Doctor Who, a lot of voicing. But here, it's not, it's a new style of comedy. There's a blend of over-the-top comedic tones, but all grounded in a a family man, you know, a working-class family man who is a loving father and husband. And Nick finds this incredible balance in his performance that is so endearing and really anchors the film as we see Florence Pugh tackle the role of Paige uh, to the point that it, you are wondering, are you looking at the real Paige? Um, and Jack Loudon as Zach. Absolutely outstanding and Nick is a cornerstone of that in this film uh, I should also mention uh, one of my favorite performances in the film is that of Vince Vaughn who plays the WWE coach uh, it is one of my favorite performances that I have ever seen from Vince Vaughn he is a, he is amazing in this film uh, if for no other reason see the film to see uh, Vince Vaughn's performance but Let's take a listen to my interview with Nick Frost as we talked about him stepping, tackling the role of Rowdy Ricky Knight. Uh, the fact that, that the real Ricky didn't want him to play him on film and his own love of wrestling. Take a listen. It's Ricky's funny. Ricky's a different actor, I think, to, to, to portray, you know. It's, it, it, I think it's sometimes as a baddie, Yeah. <laughs> 
fell in love with your performance of him. I really did, Nick. And it's something that I haven't seen too much from you because you you can craft comedy so subtly and so nuanced, but here you got to blend this this you know working class guy who loves his family, but then you also got to be over the top with Nick with Ricky's in the ring persona. Yeah, yeah, and that's the kind of, that was the great thing about getting the script and leaving it, is because I knew that people would let me improvise stuff around the character in the ring, because when he's in the ring, you know, as the Rock said in, what, at one point, your screen persona, your ring persona is essentially you dialed up to 11, so I got to really choose the scenery, and it was completely <laughs> within, within the remit of what my character would do, you know. What, were you a WWE fan before this movie, or were you aware of the the family or Paige? Um, yeah, I knew about all of that. You know, I've been a fan of wrestling since I was a kid, and we used to have wrestling. Um, they used to show wrestling on TV in Britain on Saturday mornings on a show called The Wide, the Wide World of Sport. And it was on an hour a week, and I remember watching it thinking, gee whiz, you know, look at these giants, it was incredible. I mean, even then I realized it wasn't, yeah, I don't know, I'm not going to say, it wasn't real, but mm-hmm. I loved the fact and I completely bought into the fact that this was a, this was a, you know, a soap opera. Uh, and I appreciated it for what it was, you know, and then kind of it lost favor and it wasn't on TV at all, really for a long time until we started getting satellite and cable in in the early 90s, mid, mid to early 90s. And then we started to see, you know, for me, what was the original WWF, which was Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and, um, you know, Tatanka. And uh, and then from that point on, we, we watched it, you know, I watched it as a family with my family and with my friends. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think there was a point when we were in our mid to late 20s when, we kind of had a keen backyard wrestling setup going on, and we'd, you know, we'd have to have a bit, bit of a wrestle. And I loved it. I, lo- I like the theatre of it. And, you know, I think people who say, oh, well, it's not real, I think if you, for a second, imagine that it is real in terms of, you know, the lunacy and the, just the ridiculousness of it, then there's something wrong with you, not with wrestling, you know? I'm curious about your relationship working with Steven because we're so used to seeing you, you know, you've worked so much with, with Edgar, you work a lot with Simon, uh, and now you're working with Steven. I'm curious as to his dynamic in collaboration with you as an actor. Does he allow for a lot of improvisation? Is Does he like to adhere to the script? What is that dynamic like? Yeah, well, look, I mean, uh, I'm, I think I've known Stephen for a long time and we've been socially, we've known each other, we've hung out and laughed and, um, you know, he came in with a bit of hot fuzz and I, I was kind of thrilled that he got in touch and said, do you want to be in this film? And uh, I really like Stephen as a person. And I think, uh, you know, I think there's a, a pecking order on the set, despite how many years you've been doing the job or, or how, you know, successful you are. I think Stephen's the boss and he's the director and um, I did everything I could to facilitate what he wanted, you know, not just as Ricky, but for the whole thing, you know. Um, but I think being mates with Stephen and, and being fairly successful in my own right, it gives you a voice on set and a voice for me to say, hey, well, could we try this or... You know, so once you cover up everything that's written and often there'd be an alt or, you know, we'd have a little, another go here or it'd be a bit looser or, you know, that's the time then to bring, bring your own bit in. But, you know, I'm always aware that just because I don't think you should take advantage of a friendship just when you're on set. I think there is a pecking order and I think Stephen's there to make a film and, I think that needs to be respected as a process, you know. Were you surprised when he came to you with this script? Well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think in terms of the comedy, drama, film actors, Venn diagram of big men who potentially could be wrestlers, 
uh, in one circle and, and funny people in the other. It's me and Kevin James. And I, I, I don't think they could afford Kevin James. <laughs> so it was just me and him. Was there anything that struck you in particular when you read the script on the whole, given the fact that you did know about the whole family and you have followed wrestling for years? Was there something in the script that struck you, be it authenticity, be it straying from the quote-unquote soap opera of the sport? Well, there was a great balance in it, you know. Uh, I, think it, it, I think it is a film with wrestling in it. It's not a wrestling film, you know. I think, uh, I, I, I read in the script, I was aware that I think wrestling could have been pulled out and it could have been canoeing or, or you know, brass bands or, or, or ceramic making, you know. It's a film about a family, which is why I really like that aspect of it. But I think I really like the fact in the script that Stephen kept in Zach's journey. You know, he didn't, you know, I think if this had been a big studio film from the get-go, there could have been an exec somewhere that suggested that Zach's story ends on a, on a high, you know, and he gets called and he gets another crack at the WWE, but I think and I'm pleased that Stephen and the Rock and Kevin Misher were all brave enough to make his story. He doesn't succeed. He, he's told flatly at the end that you don't have what it takes. And that's kind of, you know, in terms of a disappointment, it's kind of cool to watch because you don't get to see it that often. But, but I guess, you know, I mean, I think also what Stephen's saying is being a good dad and having a family and having all those kids from the WAW, you know, love and look up to you, that in itself is its own reward, you know, and I think that's pretty cool to watch. You know, now the big question for you, Nick, is Paige made no secret talking about how her father wanted Ray Winston to play her father and not you. Now, have you had a chance to talk to the real Rowdy Ricky Knight since he has seen the film? Is he happy with your performance? Well, I have not seen Ricky yet. Oh, my God! I've never met Ricky yet, but I've got to say, if I was going to have a biopic made of my life, I would want Ray Winston as well. So <laughs> I agree with Ricky, with Ricky in that respect. Um, and you know what? He apparently he didn't know who I was beforehand, which is fine. And since he's seen it, he really, really liked it, um, which is great because it means I can go to the premiere in with a, you know the gala screening next week in London and not fear that I'm going to have my shoulders pulled out of their sockets. Yeah, I'm curious. You always take something away from a project, um, depending on the type of the project who you're working with. What did you personally learn about yourself stepping into this world and this character of Ricky that you can now draw on as you go into future performances? Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, I think there's a lot to be said for being yourself constantly. I've heard that a lot on this press tour. And, and maybe I don't... You know, maybe I've never really thought about that. Maybe it's just something that I do naturally is just to be yourself, but maybe that's why I've got to where I am. You know, I think Paige said today earlier at a conference that that was her secret weapon, you know, it's just being yourself. And I think it's really important, you know, and I think it takes people a long time to find that out. And I don't know if there's any right or wrong answer in terms of when that is, but if you can find that and harness that, then... Okay, there we go. Technical, technical difficulties here. Dead air for a minute. That was Nick Frost talking about fighting with my family. It is in theaters now. I can't recommend it highly enough. Um, And even from a technical filmmaking standpoint, It is beautifully done as a film. A lot of metaphor in the visual tone. Remy Adafarison's cinematography is gorgeous. The visual tonal bandwidth melds distinctive looks between the worlds of Norwich, England, Florida, the glitz of WrestleMania. Um, Weather is played to advantage for the different worlds that are being, that Paige is moving in and out of. Just all around, so well down. 
done and a killer soundtrack. Needle drops are outstanding. Uh, and of course, when we get into actual lensing of the wrestling bouts, there are terrific variations of camera angles. Um, a lot uh, in Norwich, you see a lot of overhead shots of the ring. But as we go into Florida and as Paige's uh, training intensifies, POV is shifted to become more mat level, eye to eye. And it really helps immerse you in the excitement and the angst and the fear Paige has. Is she good enough to make the cut? Um, see it, see it, see it. Uh, my Nick Frost interview is already up on BehindTheLensOnline.net and a few other places. Uh, my interview with WWE Superstar Paige will be out later tonight as will the review my full review on fighting with my family. So I'm just, I do, I love this film. And everybody out there that knows me knows if I did not like the film, I would say I did not like the film. Uh, there is one film in history that I said the only redeeming factor about the film was I learned new uses for duct tape. Um, that is not this film. But right now we're going to switch gears I'm so excited to welcome Sam Friedlander. Hello, Sam. Hi there. How are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I am very happy to be talking to you, Sam. Once again, you tapped into something original, creative. I didn't laugh as much as I did in Larry Gay, Renegade Male Flight Attendant. But I still, <laughs> I still laughed, and I was beyond excited to see the fabulous Mark Feuerstein also in Baby Splitters. Um, yes. I, you can't make a film without Mark. I hope you know that. Uh, I, I agree. I love, I love Mark, and we're good friends, and so anytime I can work with him, I, I make sure I can. Well, talk to me about Baby Splitters. You just had your world premiere at Santa Barbara International Film Festival. It was, you've gotten some reviews have come in, such as Variety's review. They loved it. I understand the audience loved the film. Um, so give everybody um, a synopsis of the concept for Baby Splitters, because this really is a unique story it's something original which we see so little of anymore <laughs> yeah i mean you know after after doing um larry gay which was something i had not written um i wanted to my next film to be something that was you know truly my voice something that was from personal experience and something that was about the subject matter that that was very relevant in my life um, and since I've never been a male flight attendant, that didn't necessarily line up with the last <laughs> film. But on this one, um, you know, it was a lot of conversations I had had in my relationship and what I was going through as I got closer to 40 years old. And I watched my friends sort of divide into two camps. There was like the camp of everyone that was, you know, having kids and doing all the kids stuff. And then there was the ones who decided that they weren't going to have kids. And I was kind of stuck in the middle. And it was really interesting to watch them, these two groups of friends sort of diverge and get further and further apart where they didn't, no one ever really hung out anymore. And um, I kind of said, you know, where I'm at is I, I know I want to have kids. I'm just a little, you know, I've got fears. And so what's a fun concept where I can explore um, this subject matter. And so, you know, I was like, how do I solve a, you know, how do I have a character who's very indecisive, but he, you know, he's trying to beat it. And so I came up with the idea of a character who, you know, formulates an idea along with another couple who's having similar debate to split one baby between the two couples. And uh, that's how I kind of ended up with the concept. And then I sort of just poured a lot of personal stuff into it. And although I've never, you know, planned to actually split a baby, I was able to really weave in a lot of the, you know, material that I wanted to um, cover and then try to make it funny because of the concept. Well, uh, I mean, it's so biblical, so the wisdom of Solomon that you have brought to a comedy level um, that, <laughs> that, you know, it, the whole premise I just thought was so original, so uh, interesting and engaging. 
And then to watch this story unfold, um, kudos to your casting. You know, in addition to having Mark on, uh, Mark in this film playing psychologist to one of your main leads, um, the character of Jeff, played by Danny Pudi, who, of course, was also in Larry Gay. Um, yes. You know, the two of them, watching the two of them with these sequen- with this whole therapy session of, you know, reframe, reframe, reframe what you're <laughs> thinking as to how this is going to play out. A lot of comedic mileage at multiple points in the film from that. But you bring in um, Mariah Will- uh, Walsh, who Last Ship fans know her well. Uh, from the final season of The Last Ship as Mia Valdez. You've got Eddie Alfano, and then you've got Emily Chang. And that's really your core five uh, for this yes. film. And But talk to me about this casting, because it really plays very well. You've got couples that you would think are opposites, and they truly play out as opposites for the bulk of the film. So I'm curious what your considerations were in casting each of these individuals. Yeah, so, I mean, in order for the concept to work, I sort of traced out characteristics that each of, you know, I called them the foursome in the script, that each of the members of the foursome would need to have in order for the concept to work. And so I knew immediately my lead uh, was going to be somebody who could play that sort of nervous neurotic, but also was funny and could be confident, and um, so that was the character of Jeff, and then I sort of pieced it together. I said, well, I want his his significant other to be somebody who's also confident and sort of an equal match to him, and in some ways is much, you know, has put her fears aside and is ready for kids, and then in the other couple, it's got to be reversed, so um, I wanted a younger character who was, was definitely not ready for kids yet, um, who had a lot of reservations, and then I wanted um, her... Uh, significant other to be a guy who was really wanting the fatherhood experience. And so once I had traced these characters out and written them, um, Eddie Alfano, who plays the character of Don, I wrote the part for him. I'd worked with him before. I knew that's who would be perfect because he has this amazing ability to be, to look like a meathead on the outside, but Mm -hmm. really be a sweet, intelligent, um, and funny, uh, actor. Um, and then, um, I didn't have the other three, so we went through casting. Um, and Danny, actually, I offered a different role in the film that was a very short shooting period because I know he's a busy guy. And mm-hmm. he actually came back to me and said, hey, you know, I don't really want that role. Would you consider me for the lead role? And I said, absolutely. I'd love for you for the lead role. Um, so that's how Danny came into play. And then um, both uh, Mayada and Emily we came from watching reels and finding – you know, just looking through tons and tons of reels, and um, I landed on both of them, and just immediately when I saw their stuff, I said, that they're perfect. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, yeah, it, it was great because once the cast came together, they really did bond and become friends, which I think reflects on screen. They, they're very comfortable with, this, with each other. Oh, from beginning to end. And, of course, you know, this is not a case of artificial insemination. This is, uh, this is a situation where the ones that want children couple up with the other two in the other room in the hotel listening and semi-watching which just adds to the it is hilarious that sequencing is absolutely hilarious Sam (laughs) Um, especially as you've got the character of Jeff who's gone through everything in the mini bar every piece of candy every package every every bottle of alcohol Um, it's uh, watching this and you're editing in that sequencing I got to give a shout out to your editor, Christine Kim, she did a really nice job on editing that, the coupling sequence. Really nicely done yeah. with the back and forth and back she, and forth. She's an incredible editor. Um, I was so, so lucky to work with her. And, you know, all throughout the whole editing process, it was really comforting because I didn't have a ton of time. I was working a full-time job at the same time we were doing um, editing on the film and I would come in and work with her, you know, on probably three days a week. I'd work with her on the weekend and then, you know, maybe one or two other days. And, um, you know, when you go into an editing room with your editor, a lot of times you go back and watch different takes and sometimes you switch them. And what I found was the takes that I found the funniest on set were almost always the ones that she had 
also found the funniest. And so once we, once I knew that we were really had on the same page and had similar sense of humor, it made, it made it a really fun process because I never had to worry. I, it was more just about putting it together and polishing it and not worrying about, did you find all the funny stuff, mm-hmm. which is a lot of times the concern. Well, and, and of course you planned everything that goes into parenthood. Um, with a car that's going to accommodate a baby seat. And, of course, you've got Jeff saying, look, I don't need a bigger car. Only has to hold one diaper bag and a, <laughs> and, and a baby seat. Um, little does he know. Uh, and, you know, these these montages of going shopping at the baby store and getting two baby rooms ready, one in each house, and everything's being bought double, and they're each ripping out. Don and Jeff are ripping out their credit cards. Split it. Half here, half here, half here. They go to dinner. Split it. Um, if life were only that easy, Sam. Uh, so, <laughs> but that's... Well, you know... Uh, no, go um, ahead. What's funny about that sequence is that... Um, so, and this is part of the real life story. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, I found out about a month into production that my wife was pregnant. Um so it made for a quite an interesting overlap of real life and the movie. And um, that van, that minivan that's in the movie, we had actually purchased it because it was cheaper to, to purchase it for the, the whole shoot than it was to rent one. And I ended up with it at the end of the shoot and it was parked in front of my house. And um, we had another car that went into the shop. And so I ended up driving that car for about two weeks in my real life. And it was a really ironic kind of <laughs> I was like, I am living my movie now. I've got a pregnant wife, and I'm driving a 1994 minivan. So it was uh, quite an interesting experience. But there's no one splitting costs with you, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how did you, you know, as, because you were also experiencing this uh, for yourself, you know, how did the script change or shift from the time that you wrote it? Did you incorporate any new things in the anticipation of parenthood? Uh, when it came down to shooting, it's like, oh, okay, now this is going to be really funny or this is going to be really funny. Um, you've got some great, uh, with the taste of each one of these new parents-to-be and the different books they're putting on bookshelves and how they're arranging things. Uh, and you really get to see the personalities of each of these individuals come out through these other touches, through the, the visuals that we see. No dialogue. Just the visuals as to how they're doing things, what they're choosing, what you know, how they're behaving without dialogue. Did any of that change when you got into shooting? You know, it's interesting because I think I, I wrote this script well before we had um, found out, and I don't know that I could have written the same script now because now I'm now I have a baby. We have a ten-week-old baby, and he's wonderful, and it's fun, and I think a lot of the fear about having a child kind of goes out the window and, and, you know, it's not what you, at least for me, it wasn't what I, what what I was worried about isn't coming true. And so, um, you know, it was kind of a perfect time for me to make the movie because I was able to write the whole script um, in when I actually did have a lot of this fear. And then as we were shooting, there were a couple moments where like we went to a, um, you know, one of our doctor's appointments and we did the ultrasound and we're doing all that. And we were shooting that scene three days later. So I was able to go into the script and kind of adjust a little bit. Like, no, no, they would do this first. And then they, and so there was this kind of really fun overlap and I was able to adjust each sort of, not each piece, but a lot of the pieces as we went. Um, and then a couple of the things um, which hadn't happened yet, um, I just had to, you know, kind of write as if, I, you know, just from research and watching, you know, other movies and other, you know, scenes. And um, it, I actually, by the time it was done and my wife had had a baby, I was like, I didn't do too bad because a lot of the <laughs> stuff really kind of played out exactly how it did for us. So. <laughs> and, she st- and she wanted to kill you when she was in the delivery room, I'm sure. Yeah, the, that whole thing with the, um, with the uh, there's a moment where they're adjusting the height of the bed and we <laughs> shot that and no joke, it happened. Um, in our experience where Julia was trying to get me to adjust it and I couldn't get it right for her. It was pretty, uh, pretty coincidental kind of fun moment. You know, talk to me about, I mean, Alicia Robbins is doing your cinematography. 
how did, what kind of visual influences did you have for this film? The whole film is kept light, bright. You pretty much hone in on, you know, a mid-two shot for the bulk of the film. Uh, when couples are paired off, you go a little bit wider when you get all four, but it's still, you know, intimate enough that they're framed and it's a tighter frame. So I'm curious what visual references you used to come up with the visual design of the film. Um, so since there was four characters and there was a lot of stuff with four characters or three characters, um, I knew early on I wanted to do a wider aspect ratio. So um, once I brought Alicia on, I said, you know, I really want to shoot, um, I really want to shoot a two three five or two three nine aspect ratio to hold these characters, and so we can do these four shots and these table shots where you're getting an a, over two people onto two people, and um, we weren't shooting anamorphic lenses, but what we we shot a four K image and we cropped it, um, which actually worked out really nicely because then once you get into editing it's very easy to reposition the frame up and down to get exactly what you want. Um, so um, that was the, the first decision we made was the format. Um, and then in terms of the visual look, um, I sat down with Alicia and I said, look, I think the most important thing about this movie, because the concept is fairly absurd and because they get kind of into the weeds of reality, um, I want to try to do everything we can in, in visuals, so cinematography, production design, sound design, to try to make the movie feel as real as possible. So um, I told her to, you know, we, we, we lit it very naturalistic. We actually added a lot of contrast and grain into the image, which, um, you know, try to make it feel a little bit more real mm. um, so it didn't have a smooth, you know, commercial look. It, it, you know, right. a lot of the images now are very even and smooth and we tried to put a little contrast back into it and and uh you know grounded so that was the visual influence in terms of which particular movies we watched you know it was a lot of still images um there's one movie uh with uh ben stiller called while we're here that we looked at a lot i love um, that film that was about two couples i love and that film because it was also with yeah it's a great movie and it was it was also about two couples befriending two couples and so a lot of the, the framing look, we, we looked at that in terms of the, the, the lighting and the, the layout and the framing, blocking. You know, now I'm curious because you also, you're an associate producer. You've been on television for years. Um, Allegiance with Scott Cohen, The Resident with Emily Van Camp, which that you've been working on for a couple of years now. Going back to Royal Pains in which Mark was, was in. You know, how do you juggle between doing a feature film, working in these television series, um, because they're not just, you know, it's not one episode here, one episode there. You're an associate producer. You're coming in. you got 11 episodes here, 11 episodes there, nine episodes here. How do you find that balance and make the, and at the same time make the transition from producing into directing a feature? Yeah, so, I mean, um, I think that's one of the challenges – broadly of just wanting to do independent film is that independent film is doesn't pay well it <laughs> is sort of projects are few and far between and you know every now and then someone hits a home run and they make a bunch of money and you know it's great but a lot of the times it's you know really hard to get the film off the ground and then even when you do get the film off the ground even if you get distribution and it gets released it's not like you're able couple years you know you you still need to work so the balance i've found is working in television as a producer and then doing these projects um during hiatus so every show usually has a hiatus one in the winter one in the summer mm -hmm. and um i've done this is my third feature i've done in a hiatus so the first one i was just a producer on it um and i then Larry Gay, we also did during a hiatus from Royal Pains. And um, then this one I lined up. I was working on The Resident, and we actually um, we did 14 episodes last year. And then um, we, I knew we were finishing basically around Memorial Day. And so I kind of worked backwards. I said, all right. Um, you know, I went to the studio, and I said, when would we start um, season two if we get picked up for a season two? And they said roughly – end of July. 
And I said, all right, well, now I know I've got this kind of two-and-a-half-month window, and that really has to be um, when this movie happens, because if it doesn't happen then, it's not going to happen for another year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked backwards. I said, this is when I have to start prep. This is when I have to shoot on, you know, be on set. And I basically just hit the ground running right when we finished episode 14 um, and started pre-production the next day. Um, and then I overlapped, I think, by about five days. I was still shooting for about five days after the residence started. And I had um, another person cover for me um, that I work with because, um, we you know, it's sort of first five days, it's pretty slow. So, right. um, yeah, it was, a, it, was, it was a tight squeeze. Now, do you see yourself eventually transitioning out of TV into film full time, or do you think you're going to keep find a healthy balance between these two mediums? Um, I mean, if I could direct, you know, write and direct features full time, and it paid the bills, and I was not stressed about, you know, where where the next paycheck is coming from, um, sure, I would love to do that. But I think, you know the stability of working in television and knowing that you're employed for, you know, nine to 10 months a year um, is a nice balance for now. And, you know, it would also be nice to move into directing television um, as, a, as another way to sort of exercise those directing muscles during the, during the year when I'm not doing my own projects. But yeah, I think, I think it just, it depends on, uh, you know, what the, how, how the universe receives my uh, upcoming work. Mm-hmm. You know, how has, have the years you've spent as a producer in television, how how has that prepared you for feature film directing? Um, it's been very helpful. Um, I've actually been a producer on all three features. So, like I said, on the mm-hmm. first feature I did during hiatus, I was just a producer. On Larry Gay, I was a producer and a director. And then on this film, I was the producer, writer, and director. Um, so I've kind of added a category each time and... <laughs> Does that mean you um, add a paycheck? I, no. Did I add a paycheck? Does it mean you get to add uh, a paycheck not, not so each much. time? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. Maybe on the next one. Um, but no, it, it, I think for me, and it's different for everybody, there's some people that like to direct and not think about the pr- production at all. For me personally, they're very intertwined. And I, I really love being a producer on projects that I'm directing because there's so much of the producing aspect of things that affects the directing. And so, you know, it's very easy for me to be in a meeting with the other producers and say, you know, that people, someone might be stressed about getting a location and how much the location costs. And if you're not a producer, you're not, you know, privy to those conversations. When you're a director, you could say, okay, guys, if this location is such a big deal and it's going to cost us $10,000 to shoot there for a half day, I have an idea. Let me, let me, read you know change this a little bit and we can do it here and we'll save those ten thousand dollars which i'd rather have for this um so i think for me it's it's nice to, to be in those meetings and um and use that as part of the creative process about how to allocate you know schedule allocate funds um and not to mention the fact that working in television um you know i'm working with very large vendors mm-hmm. that you know we're working for a studio so we're paying them book rate you know we're paying them what they need to keep the doors open and lights on but when i do my personal projects it's a lot you know i have relationships built so i can go back to those same people and say hey i've worked with you for 10 months on the show um now i've got a personal project and we have you know a hundredth as much money you know or whatever it is and say can can you cut me a deal and i think that's one of the other really valuable parts is, you know you you aren't just going in and asking for a favor cold to somebody or to some company that you don't know right which a lot of times you have to do as an independent filmmaker here i'm asking favors of people that i'm working with throughout the year so it's a lot um easier you know how much easier is it with your producing experience when it comes to getting financing for your independent films or is it any easier uh it's not easier i i honestly think um for me if you, if you think about a movie, making a movie in three phases, if you think about raising the money, making the film, and selling the film, uh, I think the hardest part is raising the money. The second hardest part is selling the film. You know, in some ways, as hard as it is to make a movie, that's the easiest part. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, you know, if you have a story you like and you know what you're doing on set, 
It's just about making it happen and overcoming the challenges that come up. But raising the money is always, for me, and I think for a lot of people, the hardest single step of all. Um, so each film I've worked on has been, a we put the finance together in a different way, mm-hmm. um, depending on the circumstance. And it is, you know, it's really hard. And on this one, because I needed it to happen so fast, I was doing a lot of the, actually not a lot, I was doing all of the kind of, you know, on the ground fundraising and mm-hmm. financing work. And it's so hard and it's the most awkward conversations you'll ever have in your entire life. <laughs> um, so it doesn't get easier and uh, it's extremely stressful. So now Baby Splitters is still on the festival circuit. You just had a great premiere at Santa Barbara International Film Festival. Upcoming, you're going to be at Newport Beach, correct? Yeah, so we, we actually won the jury award for Best Feature at Santa Barbara, which was an awesome way to start things off. Um, and, yeah, we're going into our second festival, which is Newport. And uh, we since we just finished the film, we don't know what's next. We're, we're actively, um, you know, uh, sending it out to festivals and screening it for uh, the programming teams. And, uh, yeah, hopefully this is the beginning of a, a nice, nice, fun and... Uh, you know, productive festival run. Any, are you even considering distribution this early in the game, or do you want to ride out a few more festivals before you start thinking in the distribution arena? I mean, I think, I, you know, I, I, I was thinking about distribution from the very beginning because I think that's one of the, the hardest parts. Um, and uh, especially nowadays, there's just so much content out there. There's so many movies and so much TV that to stand out, it's really hard. So I think, you know, I'm always thinking about distribution. We had some interest just based on uh, the screenings in Santa Barbara, but as we go through the festival circuit and hopefully continue to build, um, you know, some buzz, build a fan base, it'll, it'll just kind of snowball and keep helping us with distribution that we hopefully can have locked up, you know, by the end of the year. I mean, right now, the minute I watched the film, I, it, two distributors came to mind for me, Gravitas and A24. Immediately when I watched the film. Yeah. Um, those, this, this film would be right in their wheelhouse with the content that they, that they do pick up. And I would love to see you get a distribution deal before the end of the year. Yeah, me too. I, I think, you know, it, I, I just want people to see this movie. And with Larry Gay, you know, we didn't. We skipped the festival circuit. We we sold it right away mm-hmm. before we ever had a chance to to show it at festivals. And so, as a as a director and a filmmaker, I never got the experience of seeing the movie with an audience. I I never actually saw that movie with an audience. And after you work on something for so long, um, you want that. Uh, that's really one of the most rewarding things. So uh, I really want to have that experience with this film. So now, so everybody can keep track of where Baby Splitters is around the country as you get into more festivals, you'll be posting all of that on babysplittersmovie.com, correct? Yeah, yeah babysplittersmovie.com or just plain old babysplitters.com. Um, and then we're on all the social media, just at babysplitters. So we, we have it all locked up. It's very easy to find, just babysplitters. Oh, I was very excited when I went looking for social media on this one. And no funny words, no funny names. Baby splitters, there it is. It's popping up yep. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Sam, thank you so much. This has been a, a delight talking to you today. Um, again, well, you, you thank got you an, for having me. You got another winner, Sam. You got another winner. Um, and That's very kind of you. Thank you. I hope you'll come back on the show when you have some more projects happening or when you get a deal on baby splitters. And we can celebrate. Absolutely. Ah, Sam Friedlander, thank you so much, Baby Splitters. Anybody in in the Southern California, be on the lookout at Newport Beach. Everyone else, check babysplitters.com, babysplittersmovie.com, Baby Splitters. And thanks, Sam, and I'll talk to you again soon. All right, talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. And what are you doing with knobs in there today, Pam? All of a sudden, I have air. She's playing with knobs. It's a good thing that we're at the end of the show. It's a holiday. I think she wants to go home for the rest of the day and celebrate George Washington's birthday. Um, But that is all the time we have today. Uh, Again, 
Go see Fighting With My Family. Baby Splitters, check the festival circuit if you are in Southern California. Go Check out the Newport Beach Film Festival. The dates of the screening are not yet posted, but they will be on the website. Next week, Patrick Fabian joins us along with the director of Driver X, which is a really fun film. And we're going to talk about what happens at Spirit Awards and the Oscars over the weekend. So, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. Yeah.